Uh, Pastor E is out today. He was scheduled to be here, but uh, he's out sick. So pray for him. Uh, pray for his recovery, that he'll be back uh, on point very, very soon. And uh, also that the Lord will really bless his time and have a rich time as he is settled down for now. Not out and about. That the Lord will really draw near to him in this time. Let's stand up together today. Um, we're going to read and I will preach from Psalm 1. Psalm number 1. If you are not sure where that is in your Bible, turn to Psalm 2 and then go back one and you'll be right there. We're going to do Psalm 1 from the CSB. Uh, so if you don't have that version, just look on uh, the screens and you'll see it there, but we'll read it together. I will read and you just read with me and we'll go through the whole thing. It's just six short verses. Let's read. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. I'm going to speak today on the subject, the title, The Great Separation. And, and, and that title comes from these verses, and you see at the very end, uh, there are two separate ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked and God uh, separates between the two. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this moment and this time. We pray that you would speak to us as only you can through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit to each and every one in this place. Glorify your name. Build us up and draw us to yourself. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. The great separation. When I found out that I would be preaching today on Friday, I said, oh, Jesus, help me. What is I'm going to preach on? Because <laughs> I really didn't know. They, they say you, as, a, as a pastor, as a preacher, you're always supposed to have something in your back pocket. But my back pocket was empty. And I didn't have anything, but, but I did have something that had been on my heart for the last number of weeks, heavy on my heart. And, and, and that was just, it was just an idea, but, but a thought that had been causing me, even I would say, grief and, and anguish and caused me to study as well, to look at the idea of what uh, place does the Word of God have in the lives of most people who say, I'm a believer. What, what, what place do we give 
the Bible, not just with our lips, not just that we can say, I believe in this doctrine or that doctrine, but what place on a daily basis in how we think, in, in, in what influences us, what place does the Bible really play for most believers? And I've been grieved as I looked at different even denominations just falling away from the Bible as the source. In the Reformation, one of the great solas was sola scriptura, which meant that the scripture alone is the thing that leads us and guides us in the path of God's ultimate truth, from which there is no deviation. It is the perfect way that God gives us to know him and to serve him. Hebrews 4.12 puts it this way, for the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, separating as far as the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In verse 13, it says, no creature is hidden from him. No creature is hidden from him. It says, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We come before and we come under the scripture as believers in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a, an illustration. Uh, a few weeks ago, I decided it was finally time to remove one of the ugliest doors in the history of creation that had been on my, uh, my front door of my house and put in a new door. The door looked like, some of you have seen it, it looked like it had been through World War III world war four and world war five and had lost all the wars it was it was an eyesore and a mess but we left it there thinking that if people come to our house if someone comes to rob our house they'll look at our door and say nah i feel bad for them let me go next door but it was finally time and so uh, i not a very handy handy man said I, I can do this job i'll just take off the old door put on a new one it'll be cool but then i found out i had to take out the whole door frame it ended up being a much harder job than i thought uh it took me a lot more time but i finally got the new door on and i'm like look at that that looks nice and then i went to close the door and it wouldn't close i said oh shucks Maybe I said, yeah, I did say, oh, shucks. That's, that's not good. It's supposed to close. It helps a lot when it closes. Um, but, but what I realized as I, I had looked at YouTube, I didn't read any directions. Don't like to read the directions, but looked at YouTube. Um, but, but the one thing I forgot to use was a level, a carpenter's level to make sure that it was plumb and just right. I looked at it with my eyes. I said, that looks pretty good. That looks pretty straight. I had to take off the whole thing, go to Home Depot, buy a level, <laughs> put it back in, make sure it was level, and now I have a beautiful front door. What does that have to do with this message? Everything. Because the Word of God, the Bible, is the level by which we measure out the way of God. Are we level with God's way are we on God's path you see sometimes we look at it we eyeball it and we say I'm reasonably in the ballpark I think I'm there but how many of you know that over time even if you're just a little bit off over time you're way off you find yourself so far out of bounds you don't know what to do with yourself 
And so we, we come to Psalm 1, the first of 150 psalms, the, the, the worship poems and songs of the ancient Hebrews, a book that was written over a period, just the book of Psalms, of almost a thousand years. Moses writes Psalm 90, probably the first psalm written, but they, they collect these psalms and they put them in an order. Not chronologically, but in another order. I believe a God-given order. And in that order, we come to Psalm 1 at the head of all the, the psalms. And it's going, to, it's going to lay out for us what the rest of the book of Psalms, and indeed what the Bible tells us, it's going to lay out two separate ways. First of all, the way of righteousness. We'll see. And then also the way what God calls the way of the wicked. There's not a third way. There's not the way of the almost pretty good folk who come to church a lot. There's the way of the righteous. There's the way of the wicked. That, that's what's here. And so as we consider that, you know, we, we've got to determine which way am I walking in. Not just by my reason. Look, our reason our understanding, our traditions, our gifts from God to us, but they must come under and be subjected to the word of God. So ultimately the word of God, ultimately the word does not sit under our judgment, but we sit under the judgment of the word. So let's look at these verses and, and see what the Lord has to say to us. The great separation to different ways we'll look at three different parts here the first part is in verses one and two the explanation of two ways let me look at the whole verse uh, at first and then we'll go back and, and and break it down but it says how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers he is First of all, telling us here, there is something to avoid if you're to walk in God's way. There's something to wholeheartedly in every way avoid. This, this uh, verse here is juxtaposed in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, when it tells us not what to avoid, but what to fill ourselves with. In, in Deuteronomy 6, it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them uh, of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. The, the idea in Deuteronomy 6 is that comprehensively every part of your life as a parent is to be pouring into your child in every way, not just when you sit down or rise up, not just uh, when you walk by the way or sit in your house, but it's using those ideas to say that in every way and at all times you are to pour into them the word of God in the same way. In Psalm 1, the very beginning of the Psalter, he says that comprehensively, whether you're walking, whether you're standing, whether you're sitting, whatever you're doing, you need to avoid certain things, certain folks that will lead you in the wrong way. By all means, you need to make sure that you do this comprehensively. And so it starts out, 
in this translation, how happy is the one. The first word in the Psalter is translated here, happy, ashrei. It says in the Hebrew, ashrei ha'ish asher. How happy or how blessed is the one. Uh, many times that is in other translations translated as the word blessed. And in Hebrew, there are actually two words for blessed. The first word is Baruch. The, the, the word Baruch means to be filled uh, with the power for life or filled with life. So in Genesis 1.28, when God uh, blesses the man and woman right after he's created them, it says God Baruched them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. So in, in, the, in the New Testament, God blesses his disciples and he says he blesses them and all power has been given to me and now I'm giving it to you to make disciples of all the nations. God imbues us with his power, with his Baruch, with his blessing in order that we carry out his plans in the earth and that we're fruitful. But the word that's used here is not Baruch, it is Ashrei. And Ashrei is a, a word that's used in many different contexts. I'm not sure that I really like this translation the best, to be honest. How happy, because for us, many times happiness, when I think of it, we tend to think of it in terms of the circumstances of my life at this time are in such order that I feel happy. This word is saying a lot more than that. In Job chapter 5, uh, verse 17, the, the, the word says, uh, uh, Ashrei, uh, blessed is the, the, the man who the Lord reproves. So you're in the middle of being disciplined or reproved by the Lord, and you are still ashrei You're blessed. In, in Isaiah chapter 30, uh, the word says, uh, uh, Ashrei are those who wait on the Lord. Uh, Isaiah is talking about a time when judgment, certain judgment is coming on the people of God. They're awaiting judgment, but he says, you are Ashrei, you are blessed because you're waiting on the Lord. That's more than just feeling happy at the time. In verse of Psalm 40 the scripture says Ashrei blessed are those who trust in the Lord and don't turn to the proud what he's saying is that in the time of difficulty in the time of calamity in the time of trouble when you see resources right over here in the proud or the wicked you see them right there and they can give you what you need the Bible says Ashrei, blessed are those who don't turn there. Your trust is in the Lord. So the Psalter starts out with this beautiful word, Ashrei. Blessed, happy, fortunate is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, often translated the counsel of the wicked. So we're going to look at each one of these verbs here to walk or to stand or to sit. First of all, walking in the advice of the wicked. The wicked are those uh, throughout the Psalms and throughout 
Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 9 puts it this way. The Lord detests the way of the wicked, but he loves the one who pursues righteousness. The wicked is the, the, the main way, even in this psalm, as we'll see as we get to the end of it, that those who are not on the path of God, not in the way of God, are described as the wicked. And he says, uh, happy is the one or blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the advice or the counsel of the wicked. I wonder for us, who has your ear? Who, who, who do you listen to when, when, when you need help in life? Look, if, if my car is in trouble and my car's not working right, to be honest, I don't really care that much if the mechanic has a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. If he doesn't, it's an opportunity for me to share Jesus with him. But if he does know the Lord Jesus Christ... And I bring him my car, and he says, I have no idea, but I'm going to pray on this thing. And I'm going to believe God to fix it in Jesus' name. I'll probably say, God bless you, my brother. Oh, I got a call from another mechanic. I got to go over there, right? I want somebody who knows how to handle a car. But when it comes to the issues of our lives, our ups, our downs, our ins and outs, our struggles, and our souls, I am uh, amazed at how often believers will go to unbelievers. They may even say, well, well, they are a believer, but are they saying anything about your relationship with God? Or, or is their counsel just to make you feel better? Studied psychology in undergrad and did uh, a part of a master's degree in, in counseling. And one of the counseling theories that we looked at was person-centered counseling or person-centered therapy. Carl Rogers in the middle of the 20th century uh, popularized that. And although many times it's not done exactly that way, it's infiltrated much of what is done in counseling today. And some of the ideas for person-centered therapy is this, that every human being strives for and has the capacity to fulfill his or her own potential. Now, part of that's true. If we have potential, we have the capacity to fill it. But everybody ain't striving for that all the time. I know I'm not. I need to be corrected. And, and, and in terms of the way that it's done, the therapist learns to recognize, it says, and to trust human potential, providing clients with empathy and unconditional positive regard in order to facilitate change. Now, there's some parts in there that are good. We should empathize with, counsel, with, with those that we counsel, with those who we speak to. We should see the potential in them, absolutely. But when it says, I recognize and trust human potential, I got a problem there. Because our potential is also the fact that we potentially can blow this thing wide open with our sin. And we do. And sometimes people don't need unconditional positive regard. They need unconditional kick in the buttage in the name of Jesus and with the love of God to show them you're going the wrong way, brother. You're off the track, sister. 
I love you. I want to do that in a way that can minister to them, but I can't give you unconditional positive regard. I need to tell you you're off the tracks. You're wrong. So our question is, who is your counselor? Who are you getting advice from? The righteous man is the one who doesn't take advice or counsel from anyone that doesn't know and love the Lord and have that as the primary objective for your life. It's not just to make you feel better. Secondly, he says, or stand in the pathway with sinners. The word here, pathway, is the Hebrew word derek. It means a, a way. It can literally mean a road or a path. But figuratively, it means comprehensively the way of life that you undertake. The manner of life that you have. It's used over 700 times in the Old Testament. It's a critical word in this psalm. We'll come back to it in verse 6. But it is the critical uh, uh, word here in terms of this is the way. You don't stand in the way, the Bible says, with sinners. You don't stand in the way. Your, your, your manner of life is not impacted primarily by those who are disconnected with the Lord of the universe. You don't stand in the way of sinners. And, and thirdly, or sit, he says, in the company of mockers. The mocker uh, is talked about much in scripture and particularly in the book of Proverbs. The mocker is the one who scorns and delights in their scorning, Proverbs 1.22. The mocker is the one who's incapable of disciplining themselves in the Lord, uh, Proverbs 9.7. The, the mocker is the one who will not receive reproof or rebuke, Proverbs 9.8. 13.1 and 15.12. The, the mocker is the one who cannot find godly wisdom. Proverbs 14.6. The, the mocker is one that the Lord describes as an abomination. Proverbs 24.9. In Proverbs 21 and 24, the writer puts it this way. The arrogant and proud person named mocker acts with excessive arrogance and the bible says the righteous one does not sit in the company of mockers we don't settle ourselves in a place where we're being influenced by those who push against god we, we don't do that. And so as the psalm is laying out the way of the righteous, this first part is to tell us what it is we are to avoid. But secondly, in verse 2, the scripture tells us what we are to embrace. What we are to embrace, explaining the, the way of the Lord. He says, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. The, the, the one who is on the pathway uh, 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 that God has laid out delights in the instruction and in the word of God. The, the word used for instruction there is Torah, which refers specifically to the first five books of the Old Testament. But, but, but often it refers to all of God's counsel in his written word. 
So the, the scripture says he delights in the law of the Lord or in the Lord's instruction. To delight is to take pleasure in something, to have great joy in something. Uh, a few days ago, my granddaughter, yesterday, she actually had her big dance recital. Uh, and, and she was so excited. On Friday, they had uh, a rehearsal for her and had, had a half a day of school. So uh, my other daughter, not her mom, picked her up and took her to her house. And then I was to pick her up at 3.30 to go to where the, the big uh, rehearsal for the recital was. My daughter calls me at 2.30 and says... Uh, Dad, where are you? I said, I'm chilling. <laughs> What's up? And she said, Mariah, my granddaughter, is at the window looking through the blinds, looking for you. I said, well, I'll be there in about an hour or so. She was so excited about the idea of this recital. She, she was delighting in the idea of the rehearsal. She couldn't wait to get there. And she's peering out that window, just waiting for me to pick her up and take her. You guys know what it is to delight in something. I look around this room and I see a lot of people in this room that I know who delight in traveling. How many travelers are here? You just like to go places. Yeah, I, I see that hand. I see that hand. You like to go to different places and explore different cultures. And, and some of you like to go on mission trips. And some of you just like to go to a nice beach. All of these things. You delight in traveling. And when you truly delight in something, you are able to sacrifice in order to make it happen. So for some of you, who love to travel, like I'll be around folk and they'll, and they'll be complaining, I'm not going to that doctor's appointment. Why? The, the co-pays just too much. I'm not going to the doctor's appointment. I can't go out with y'all uh, to, to, to dinner or to the movie. Why? I, I just don't, I don't have the money. Okay, all right. I'm going to put off that dental work till 2023 because I just, I don't have it right now. And I'm hearing all this, and the next thing I turn around, I look at Facebook, and you're in Putacana. <laughs> Smiling with your teeth falling out because you didn't get your dental work done. I'm like, what is going on here? When you delight in something, you will sacrifice to make it happen. You know that's true. So God, but here's the thing. Do you delight in the law of the Lord? What sacrifice do you undertake to make that have a preeminent place in your life? Does Netflix take preeminence over the law of the Lord? Do, do, does, what do you call it when you go through a whole season of something? Like binge watching or, or whatever. We'll binge watch and not be in the word of God. Social media takes over our lives and we get sucked up into the world. My wife and I will look at each other and I'll say, are you getting sucked up in the world? And she'll say, well, are you? <laughs> oh, my bad, my bus. We can get sucked up into these other worlds. But God's word says that the one who will be called the righteous delights in the law of the Lord. How do you direct your delighting in the Lord? How do you do that? Three things I would like to 
look at in that. First of all, you embrace an increasingly disciplined spiritual life. To some of y'all, I just said a dirty word. Several dirty words. Increasingly disciplined spiritual life. I hope all those things aren't dirty words to you. But listen, if you're going to grow in the Lord, if you're going to delight in him, you've got to make this the first and greatest priority. It can't come behind these other things. It needs to come in front of these other things. Paul says to Timothy, uh, he says, endure hardship with me as a good soldier for Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2 and 4. The idea is I've got to embrace discipline in order to walk with God. And when you embrace this discipline, you will find your delight. When you embrace the discipline of coming to God, you'll find your delight. Number two, call out your intrusive thoughts for what they are. Listen, you may delight in the Lord a lot, but there's other things you delight in too. And some of them are God-honoring and good, and some of them are not God-honoring, and they ain't good. And, they, and those thoughts come, no matter how much you say, I love the Lord, those thoughts come. We've got to call them out when they come. And say, listen, this is not who I am. I, I, I'm not going to live under this, bringing every thought captive to the mind of Christ, Paul says. Call out intrusive thoughts. How do you direct your delight? Surround yourself with fellow delighters. Look, in verse 1, he says, we don't run with the wicked. We don't run with the sinners. We don't run with the mockers. But we delight in the Lord. That is that we make our company of those that we share our souls with fellow men and women who are on this journey to love God. If, if you are not surrounding yourself more and more with those who love Jesus Christ and are on this path, you will get knocked off the path. You won't delight for long. You'll delight for a little while. But not only does he say their delight is in the law of the Lord, but he says, and he meditates on it, the law, the Lord's instruction, day and night. The idea of meditate is the, the, the word there means to moan or to growl or to speak under your breath. It's a, it's a word in the Hebrew that, that actually sounds like what you're doing. It means that you're muttering something under your breath all the time. As the writer writes this and uh, as, as the books of the Bible were compiled, very, very few people actually had access to have what we take for granted, a Bible that we can read and look at any time. They just didn't have that. The printing press wasn't uh, invented for thousands of years later, so they didn't have that. But they still wanted to know the word of God. How did they know it? They muttered it under their breath. They memorized uh, the word. They hid the word in their hearts. In the early Christian church, uh, it's funny because now everyone wants to be a bishop. And if you're a bishop, then you want to be an apostle. And if you're an apostle, I don't know what you want to be after that. <laughs> Jesus Jr., I don't know what it is. But, but, but in the early church, you could not be a bishop unless you had first memorized the book of Psalms. Not Psalm 1, six verses, 
But Psalm 119, 176 verses, and Psalm 2, and Psalm 45, and Psalm 150, and everyone in between, because the thought was, if you're going to be a bishop and over other of those who are ministering to the people, you need to know the way of God rightly. How are you going to know that? You've got to memorize this book. How do you do that? You meditate on it. And, and I love the fact the word says you meditate it on it day and night. It's your continual meditation. It is not simply doing devo- devotions, but it is an ongoing inner reflection on the word of God at all times and in every situation. So consistent meditation on God's word puts you in touch with God in such a way that you're able to see his fingerprints on anything and everything that touches your life and you praise him for it anyhow. See, see, when we are meditating on the word of God, it doesn't mean that I won't grieve. It doesn't mean that I won't be sad. It doesn't mean that I won't be disappointed. But if I'm meditating on the word of God and it is in me, I know that my God is in charge, that he is in control. And at the end of the day, he cannot, he will not ever let me down. Because he is my God, and that is resounding in my soul. We get thrown way off course because we're not meditating on the word of God. So how is it that we mediate our meditation? I'll give you three more things here. Number one, we read scripture daily. Not just verses. Not just, listen, I love What's it called? The daily bread? Your daily bread? That's a good little devotional. But if that is what you are using as a substitute for a a real devotional life, that's not enough. Can't read a couple verses and think it's all right. You need to ingest the word of God. You need to be marked as a person of the word of God as a believer. So we read scripture. If If you're not bringing scripture in, what do you have to meditate on? Biblical meditation is not empty in our mind, but it's focusing our mind on God and on his word. So secondly, how do you meditate? Press pause, stop and be with God. Not just a devotional time in the morning or evening, but throughout our day, we need to make sure that we are stopping and recognizing God's presence and meditating on him. And lastly, memorizing verses and passages of scripture. I think that this is, for many, a lost art. Like, I can't do that. I'm not very good at memorizing. That's a perfect setup to meditate on the word of God. If you're not good at memorizing, it may take you weeks to memorize one little passage. That's okay because you're going over it time after time. You're making that a discipline. You're beginning to delight in the law of the Lord because you're meditating on it all the time. I love the fact when I go to life group, uh, Jonna's not here right now, but in her apartment where we have life group, there's little scriptures all over uh, the place on the walls. We're meditating on the word of God, making that our practice, making that our practice. So when we delighting draws you to God and meditating keeps you with God. So we delight in the instruction of the Lord and we meditate on it day and day. 
and night. I just want to do briefly a summary, and uh, the, the last part of this will go quickly, but the summary of the two ways. Uh, and there are four different characteristics of, of having your life being determined as a way, either the way of the righteous or the wicked. And this comes from Bruce Waltke, a great uh, uh, Old Testament scholar, but he looks at four categories, character, content, conduct, and consequences. So character, who are you? The righteous one is the one who is dependent. Dependent on God, needy for God, needing God to come through. But the wicked one is independent. I can figure this out. I can do it myself. I don't need a level for my new door. The context is, who are you with? The righteous are found among the faithful, those who are on the journey pursuing God. But the wicked are those who are among the faithless. Now, this does not mean that as believers we don't uh, 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 have times in our lives when we're with others and, and we are looking uh, to, to lead people to Christ and to help them mature in the Lord. But it means that our inner circle is made up of lovers of God. Our conduct, what you do. The righteous does not live a perfect life. If that were true, none of us could ever be called righteous. Only Jesus would be called righteous. But the righteous do live for God. Jesus says, uh, if, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And when we fall short of that, which for us is often, we are those who repent. We become serial repenters. We repent when we see that we've missed the mark that God has for us. But the wicked live for self, not for God. They're unrepentant, they're stiff-necked, stiff stubborn-willed, and they're going to do what they're going to do. And at the end of it, consequences means what do you get out of it? The righteous are blessed in God's presence. The wicked are banned from God's presence. We'll see that in just a moment. So very briefly, let's look at the last two pieces here of this great separation. The first was an explanation of the two ways. The second, the evaluation of the two ways. Look at verse 3. It evaluates the righteous man. It says, he is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The Bible gives us this picture of, of the tree of life even going back to the early chapters of Genesis, Genesis 2. And in Ezekiel 47, it talks eschatologically about this tree that is planted uh, along the river that comes out of the, the temple of God and the, the, the tree of life that we see in the book of Revelation has a different fruit in every season. And the Bible says that the righteous man, the one who delights in the Lord, the one who meditates on his law day and night, the one who keeps himself from the influences of wickedness, this man is a fruitful person. This woman is fruitful in all her ways. There's no lack of fruit in their lives. But what characterizes the one who is in the other way, the way of wickedness? Verse 4, the wicked, he says, are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. It's a picture of harvesting and taking the winnowing fork and throwing the wheat or whatever uh, other grain you have into the air. And the wind blows the chaff away. It's worthless. The word that the Bible uses when it describes the glory of God is the word kavod. 
Kavod means something that is weighty, something that is heavy, something that has definitive and powerful worth and value. The Kavod Adonai, the glory of the Lord. But the Bible says that the wicked have no weight to them at all. They're like chaff. The wind blows it away. You might be a millionaire. You might be a billionaire. You might have 12 degrees after your name. You might be the CEO of a major company. You might have the accolades of men and women. You might be a political leader that people look up to and call great. The Bible says if you're not on the path of righteousness, you are like chaff and the wind blows you away. There's no weight at all to your life. Then verse 5 says, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. This is the great separation. The wicked will not stand up in the judgment. They can't stand before a holy God, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. The great separation that takes place between the two ways. The way of the righteous, we stand before God. The way of the wicked cannot stand. In verse 1, it says that the righteous man doesn't stay in the assembly of the wicked. But in verse 5, it says the sinner cannot stay in the assembly of the righteous. They're kicked out by God himself. The evaluation of the two paths. And lastly, the end of the two paths. Verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. You see this word used again that was used in verse 1, derek or way. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous. The Lord is watching out for his people. He uses the word there, yada, which is a word that means to know intimately. The Lord knows those who are following him intimately and watches over their lives. I love Psalm 121. It says this, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector, look at this word, protect and protector, the one who watches over you. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter uh, right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. Verse 7, the Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming out and your going in both now and forevermore the way of the righteous is protected by the Lord he is looking out for you intimately acquainted with all of your ways the psalmist says in Psalm 139 but it's not so it's not so with the wicked that last verse the last part of that verse says but the way of the wicked leads to ruin the word there means destruction it means loss, total loss, means being wiped out and without. The Lord, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. 
Here's the beautiful thing about this psalm. It's not just a description of the way, but this psalm stands as an invitation to the way. Wherever you find yourself today, this is in God's word because he's inviting those who may be called wicked right now, who may be called sinner, who may be called mocker. He's embracing them to take on a new way, the way of life. And anyone, regardless of their history, regardless of their sin, who gives themselves to the way of the Lord becomes a new creation. And God has a brand new name for you. Here's the beautiful thing. This way is not just a series of do's and don'ts. The way is a person. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. You find life, he says, in me. But you won't know him rightly unless you are in this word. You come and you delight in this word and you meditate in this word and you come to know Jesus, not just as Lord and Savior, but as the, the best friend you'll ever have, as your protector, as your shield, as your keeper. You come to know him as you look at this word. Let me pray for us today. God may have pricked your heart at some place. Where are you? Which way are you following? Not so much by the evidence of your lips, but the evidence of your life. How you spend your time, what you delight in, what you meditate on, who, whose voice is in your ear, who do you look to to show you the way? Listen, if you're off, just a little bit, you're in trouble. This is a warning passage. But it's also a passage of great comfort. Because if you embrace the way, you will find life. And life abundantly. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you today for the way that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you bid us to come to you and find life and wholeness and fruitfulness in you. And Lord, we also thank you that you may be correcting us. You may be rebuking us. You may be redirecting us in different ways that we would fully embrace your truth and your way. Lord, help us to do just that. Be with your people. May we, make, may we be people who are marked by the word of God in every way that your name will be glorified in our midst. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.